From how to be an ally to the art of emojis. In the next 10 minutes, we'll get the lowdown on what's up in the world. I'm Bethany Van Delft, and this is the 10 News. Last week, in a terrible tragedy outside Atlanta, eight lives were taken from them. Six of the women were of Asian descent, which is notable because anti-Asian violence has increased in the United States throughout the coronavirus pandemic. In times like these, you or someone you know may be feeling upset or afraid. It's important to talk to your grown-ups about how you're feeling. There are many ways we can help and support each other. One way is through something called allyship. Allyship is the practice of showing up, speaking up, and standing in support of marginalized communities, groups of people who are excluded by society and kept from power, that you do not belong to. It's a process that involves lots of listening and learning. Everyone can be an ally. It's a lot like being a good friend. It means listening to people when they speak, hearing and believing their experiences, and supporting them the best way you can. Allyship is a tool for ending bigotry. Bigotry is having and expressing strong dislike for cultures, beliefs, and lifestyles that are different than your own. Allyship helps change this harmful way of thinking through community building and personal relationships. There are lots of things you can do to be an ally. If you see someone mistreating someone, speak up. Let them know it's not okay or get a grown-up to help. Listen and learn from the people you want to support. Educate yourself about cultures and communities outside of your own. Believe people of color when they say that something is racist. Talking about race can be uncomfortable, but being uncomfortable is necessary to grow and move forward. Talk with people from your own community about what you're learning so they can become aware and help make change too. As teen activist Ashlyn So wrote in an Instagram post responding to recent events, if people in your circle are not talking about this today, you need a new circle. If this all comes as a surprise to you, wake up. Enough is enough. Ashlyn is right. If we don't talk about what's happening, we can't change it. Being an ally takes practice and we will make mistakes along the way, but that's okay. Allyship is a daily, lifelong practice. We'll continue this conversation and we want to know how you are feeling and what questions you may have. Send us an email at hello at the10news.com and visit our website for more resources to learn how to be an ally for those around you. Emojis are everywhere. I mean, there's even a movie about them. But do you ever wonder how they get made? To find out, our show creator, Tracy Leeds Kaplan, sat down with Jennifer Daniel, chair of the Emoji Subcommittee at the Unicode Consortium to talk about these funny little pictures we use every day. Hi, my name is Jennifer Daniel, and I am the chair of the Emoji Subcommittee for the Unicode Technical Committee, which is part of the Unicode Consortium. And I make emoji. I'd love for you to explain to our listeners 
What exactly is the Unicode Consortium and who's on it? So Unicode is a volunteer-based organization, and they're responsible for encoding the world's languages. Basically, they're the reason that if you send a message in Hindi from one device, the person you're sending it to can read it in Hindi. Before Unicode existed, that was a real problem. People couldn't communicate in their native tongues around the world. So think of it this way, right? Um, Every letter on the screen that you read, whether it be a tablet or a computer or a phone or anything that's in a digital space, every letter is assigned a code point. So if you send someone facepalm emoji, the code point for facepalm is U1F926, right? So emoji, even though they look like pictures, are really a font. And that's why they sit next to words is because they operate like letters and they, they, they're they interchangeable with, with how you text or communicate online. So like I mentioned, um, Unicode is volunteer-based, right? So it's a, it's a small group of people who can kind of offer their work for free <laughs> and, and do this work. But what we try to do is surround ourselves by experts. So, so people who understand how people communicate or maybe they have a certain expertise in... Um, I'm talking to a doctor recently, a cardiovascular surgeon around the anatomical heart and lungs and a new emoji for x-ray. So we try to surround ourselves by people who really understand the subject matter quite a bit when making decisions around what is useful, what will be used a lot, what is currently being used a lot uh, before we add it, which is why it takes almost two years to add an emoji. It takes a really long time because we're, we're vetting it fairly thoroughly. So... What I really want to know is when um, when the consortium makes a decision, those emojis are forever, right? So it's true. Emoji, once they're added, are there forever, which is really interesting if you think about it, right? Because language is flexible and fluid and transient and morphable and emoji are not. Emoji stands still. So can you share a little bit about how emojis are actually designed? Yes. So, you know, after the consortium makes their list of recommendations and they become code points and emoji, it's up to designers to, well, to get involved. And the first step is we take a look at the image in the proposal. So anyone can propose an emoji. Uh and we take we try to see what was the intent of the person who proposed it in the first place. Then the next step is we confer with subject matter experts, right? There's, there's nothing that doesn't have a subject matter expert, whether it be um, the knot emoji. We talk to people who are experts in tying knots. Or if it's an anatomical heart or lungs, we talk to doctors. If it's a boomerang, we talk to people who have made boomerangs. And we try to get a sense of, is this emoji authentic? So like a good example of that might even be the boomerang emoji. And in an earlier version of our design, the angle of the boomerang was more around 90 degrees. And when we showed it to someone, uh, who was familiar with boomerangs? They were like, "Oh no, that if a boomerang was at that angle, it would never come back to you because of the way <laughs> that you know the precision of the torque and the, the angularity and the velocity. It would it would just it would it wouldn't be a boomerang." And so we you know we had to change the angles. 
It's been really wonderful to see kind of the expansion of skin color and um, having more gender representation. How has the Unicode Consortium played a role in that? And what's coming next in that space? We're trying to identify globally relevant concepts. When there are as many genders as there are people in the world, as many foods as there are ingredients on the planet, and a variety of objects that are really only limited by your imagination, every addition to the emoji keyboard is at risk of creating zones of exclusion without consciously trying. So the best we can do is to ensure emoji continue to be as broad and as flexible and as fluid as possible, just like language and just like people. Any sneak peeks um, or inside news that you can give us on what emoji are, are coming soon? Oh, absolutely. We have a list of 36 new emoji coming out in the next emoji release, and they are available online which I can share a URL for, I suppose. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Um, Some of them include melting face. We have a salute face coming as well. Bubbles and a lotus flower and a number of other, other emojis. Okay, for all of our listeners at home who love using emojis and and filling up their parents' text chats with emojis, um, how could they learn more? You could go to um, unicode.org is all the information around what Unicode does. And that's everything from every language they support, including emoji. And really, the internet is just, you know, there's, there's, everyone's an emoji expert. Everyone's an emoji historian. So you'll find (laughs) lots of people talking about it. Um, But yeah, I'm trying to think of there's like a really, just use them. You know, if you really want to understand something, my I would just say just use it and you can come to your own conclusion. Okay, last question, and then I promise we'll, we'll let you go. Um, how do you rate our use of emojis on the 10 News? Oh, I love it. I love it. I think, they, you know, they give you some sense of curiosity. I'm like, what is today's episode going to be about? I think I know. There's a nose. What does the nose mean? Is it a pun or is it literally smelling? Um, so I think it's great. I love how you guys use them. If you want to hear more of this awesome interview, be sure to check out our episode on Saturday for the full thing. Coming up next. What? What? What's the big idea? Trivia on the 10. In what year did the United States Congress accept its first female member? Was it A, 1916, B, 2002, or C, 1875? Did you guess it? The answer is... A! Jeanette Rankin was elected to represent the state of Montana in 1916 and then again in 1941. During her time in Congress, Rankin worked to expand voting rights for women and improve working conditions for laborers across the country. Excellent! She's actually one of many female leaders from the early 20th century who worked to make our society more fair, just, and equal. Last year, PBS put out an incredible series of beautifully animated short films called Unladylike 2020, about 26 of these amazing women. Nice. We'll drop a link in the show notes so you can check them out on your own. 
time's up. But before we go, here's a quick note for the grown-ups. What's up, tenors? It's official. We launched the 10 News Tenors Club. It's new, it's awesome, and we want you to be a part of it. Join now as a founding member and you'll get an exclusive shout out on the show. Plus, your very own printable Tenors Club Press Pass. Don't wait. Get in on the fun and be one of the first to join. We made it easy. Just click the link in today's show notes or visit the10news.com to sign up today. Thanks for listening to The 10 News. Look out for new episodes Tuesdays, Thursdays, and extras on Saturdays. The 10 News is a co-production of Small But Mighty Media and Next Chapter Podcasts and is distributed by iHeartRadio. Our editorial director is Tracy Crooks. Editing and sound design by Pete Musto, who also co-wrote today's episode with Ben Austin DeCampo. Our creative producer is Jenner Pasqua. Stephen Tompkins is our head of audience development and our production assistant is Sarah Olander. Our production director is Jeremiah Tittle and the 10 News is executive produced by Donald Albright and show creator Tracy Leeds Kaplan. Do you want to be part of the show? We want you to! Have a grown-up help you record a question, a joke, or a fun fact you want to share and email it to us at hello at the10news.com. And show your love for the 10 News by going to your favorite podcast app and submitting a rating and review because it really helps others find the show so they can join us for the fun. I'm Bethany Van Delft, and thanks for listening to the 10 News. Bye.